the African American Hour. I'm Rosemary Ankwe, bringing you readings from the following publications. The Community Voice, Blavity News, Ebony, The Root, The Grio, and Scape. News One. Today, I'll begin our recordings with an article titled, Kansas African American Museum Announces New Planned Location and Capital Campaign by the Community Voice Editors, August 4th, 2022. The Kansas African American Museum has announced plans for a new home, the kickoff, a $6 million capital campaign and a year-long celebration of its 25th year. The new location at 201 North Main in downtown Wichita is a modern standalone building on the northwest corner of First Street and Main. The old Sunflower Bank building will provide twice the space for programming, exhibition, and research compared to compared to TKAAM's current home. To complete the purchase and renovation of the building, the museum announced a $6 million capital campaign. We are extremely pleased to announce this evening that we have raised $2.8 million as part of our TKAAM Museum and Cultural Center campaign, said Denise Sherman, TKAAM executive director. The campaign is funding a new home for the museum. Major corporate donors and supporters were present for the celebration and campaign announcement, including Fidelity, Cargill, In Trust, Evergy, Mary Trust, Cox Commerce Bank, and Emprise. The Wallace Foundation, William T. Kemper Foundation and the Charitable Foundation were celebrated as were individual donors. Sedgwick County was also acknowledged for its participation. The depth and breadth of support leading up to this announcement has been inspiring. Ted Ayers, A-Y-R-E-S, T-K-A-A-M's immediate past president said, our new home will be twice the size and much more accessible and visible. TKAAM shared its strategic vision for the nonprofit organization as it launched its 25th year celebration. We will use our extensive collection with expanded and original programming to create understanding, inclusion, and opportunity. Sherman. As the place where individuals and communities learn about and experience the Kansas African-American story, TKAAM will focus on the individual and collective stories of Kansas African-Americans to engage museum visitors, program participants, and children. TKAAM leaders spotlighted the capacity of the new facility, its educational components, and the statewide engagement. The museum is currently located in the historic 
Calvary Baptist Church at 601 North Water. The museum has drawn considerable criticism for this location near the Sedgwick County Jail, which has grown and expanded around the museum over the past few decades. For those questioning the shortened 25-year celebration that dates back to the museum reorganization in, the forerunner to the museum, founded in 1973, was the first National Black Historical Society. This article is titled, Kansas African American Museum Announces New Planned Location and Capital Campaign, written by the Community Voice Editors, August 4th, 2022. The next article is titled, Monkeypox is Worrisome for LGBTQ Community in Kansas City, but Resources are Available, by Jacob Martin, The Community Voice, August 5, 2022. The monkeypox outbreak in the United States has caused growing concern as the White House recently declared a public health emergency over the recent outbreak. Locally, Kansas City health officials are prepared if an outbreak were to occur. According to the Kansas City Health Department, as of last week, there have been six reported cases in Missouri and one reported case in Kansas. While those numbers remain low, the Kansas City Health Department has 900 doses of the monkeypox vaccine that can be used to treat 450 people. So far, there have been only three doses administered by the KCMO Health Department. The virus spreads through close physical contact with an infected person, such as a contact with a rash or lesion of someone with the disease intimate physical touch or body fluids of a person with monkeypox. The virus can be transmitted through sex, but it is not a sexually transmitted disease. 98% of monkeypox cases are among men who have sex with other men, according to the World Health Organization. But again, it is not a sexually transmitted disease, so anyone can be at risk of contracting it. Concerns among the Kansas City's LGBTQ plus community. According to Ryan Cox, a clinical psychologist and the program manager for the LGBTQ specialty clinic at University Health, the stigma around the disease has caused people to assume it is only affecting the gay community. One of the first things to keep in mind about monkeypox is it's not a, quote, gay disease. There is no such thing as a gay disease, Cox said. It is not a sexually transmitted disease. It spreads through close physical contact. Cox said, as the profile of the virus has grown, he has seen a rise in concerned members of the LGBTQ community in Kansas City. There's a lot of anxiety, Cox said. We have a lot of folks coming in, asking about it, asking how to protect themselves, interested in vaccines, 
and how to potentially get those vaccines. There are currently two preventative vaccines available that can be taken to inhibit a monkeypox infection. But in Kansas City, both vaccines are not currently available for the general public. However, the health department does have vaccines available for anyone who has been exposed to the virus or believes they have contracted the virus itself. The KCMO Health Department also has contract tracing in place and a department disease investigator will reach out to anyone who might have been exposed to have them come in to be tested. The disease is not fatal, according to doctors, and it is less contagious than COVID-19, but it can further complicate the health of individuals who might already have underlying conditions. Monkeypox is by all accounts a very unpleasant disease to have, but it's not fatal, Cox said. I think continuing to be aware of your health status and the health status of the people you interact with at any kind of intimate level is wise. University Health maintains a designated LQBTQ clinic for the needs of anyone in the community with resources available to anyone in the LGBTQ community, regardless if it is an issue related to monkeypox or not. This article is titled, Monkeypox is Worrisome for LGBTQ Communities in Kansas City, but resources are available. Written by Jacob Martin, The Community Voice, August 5th, 2022. The next article is titled, Morgan State University selected as Amazon's first four-year HBCU partner for prepaid tuition program. Written by Nick Fenley, F-E-N-L-E-Y, Blavity News, August 5th, 2022. Amazon employees looking to attend a historically Black college and university, HBCU, recently received great news as the company just established an education partnership with Morgan State University, MSU. On Wednesday, the announcement was made in a statement from MSU. Today, Morgan State University announced a new partnership with Amazon, naming Maryland's largest historically black college and university, HBCU, as a new education partner for the technology company's career choice program, the Baltimore-based HBCU's news release read. Offered in collaboration with the university's College of Interdisciplinary and Continuing Studies, CICS, the career choice program now allows Amazon hourly employees located throughout Maryland and the neighboring states to select Morgan as a destination to pursue a degree or learn new skills with prepaid tuition covered by Amazon, the announcement continued. The collaboration is of an initiative Amazon unveiled back in March, which involved the company pledging to expand its career choice program, 
by partnering with more than 140 national and local universities to provide fully funded college tuition. We're committed to empowering our employees with easy access to the education and training they need to grow their careers, whether that's with us or elsewhere. Alicia Bowler Davis, Amazon's Senior Vice President of Global Customer Fulfillment, said in a news release, whether someone is looking to build their English proficiency skills, prepare for GED testing, or earn their bachelor's degree, we're working to meet our employees wherever they are on their educational journey. With this expansion, Amazon's hourly employees can now build on their education at little to no cost through one of MSU's many degree programs. Through strategic partnerships and initiatives like Amazon's Career Choice Program, Morgan is working to expand opportunities for even more adult learners to pursue degree attainment and have access to in-demand programs that can lead to higher paying careers and advancement. MSU President David K. Wilson said in the HBCU's announcement, Morgan is proud to be an Amazon educational partner and we look forward to playing a role in the educational journey of their employees, he continued. In addition to MSU, other Maryland-based institutions that have partnered with the Career Choice Program include Towson University, the University of Maryland Global Campus, Anne Arundel Community College, and the Community College of Baltimore County, according to the Baltimore Sun. This article was titled, Morgan State University, selected as Amazon's first four-year HBCU partner for prepaid tuition program, written by Nick Fenley, Blavity News, August 5th, 2022. Next, a special article titled, No Matter the Odds, from 92 QJAMs, a public opinion piece written by Aklima Kondokar, A-K-L-I-M-A-K-H-O-N-D-O-K-E-R, August 6, 2022. Seated in a hospital waiting room with the buzz and flicker of dim lighting above me was the pain of the unknown within me. On the other side of those doors, I awaited word on whether a close family member would be released in life or death. Our bodies, like our democracy, houses the sum of everything that makes our nation what it is and what it is yet to be. And like our bodies, our democracy goes through changes depending on where we are and when we exist within it. Most importantly, the health and development of our democracy depends on who can vote. If you are in a Southern state today, your interaction with our democracy may feel adolescent. It's awkward, its attitude stinks, it makes a lot of mistakes, and it still has a lot of growing to do. 
That's because on this 57th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act, so many of us, mostly black or brown, cannot vote. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 was, and continues to be, our strongest means to vote. It was signed into law with the purpose of enforcing the 15th Amendment to the Constitution, because Black people, particularly those across segregated Southern states, faced insurmountable barriers to voting. Racist, state-sanctioned policies like literacy tests, grandfather clauses, and poll taxes effectively prohibited most Black people from voting. A pioneer among them, the state of Georgia, was the first state to establish poll taxes. Georgia's first poll tax was signed into law in 1871, and by 1888, the Black vote was cut in half. The Voting Rights Act healed some of the biggest sicknesses of our democracy, but it certainly didn't cure everything. Literacy tests, poll taxes, property tests, and other Jim Crow methods of torture were abolished, which had an immediate impact in Black communities. Voter registration skyrocketed in the Black communities, with 250,000 new Black voters registered in 1965. Participation increased, too, by at least 50% across most of the Southern states by 1966. In recent years, Black voter turnout surpassed white voter turnout, 66.6% versus 64.1% in 2012. Our democracy was getting healthier, but it still had more growing to do. Our right to vote is carved from Supreme Court precedent. We navigate the where, when, how, and ifs of voting through the interpretation of the Voting Rights Act by the Supreme Court. We have the fundamental right to vote, which means the Supreme Court should be reluctant to make sweeping changes to our laws, which could result in voter discrimination. It's the equivalent of putting a lockbox inside a safe, inside a bigger safe. You'd have to go through a lot to get through the first two safes, say state legislation, and state court proceedings. But once you're close, there's nothing stopping you from getting inside the lockbox. Alas, with the 2013 Shelby versus Holder decision, our outer safes got cracked and our democracy was exposed again. The decision weakened the Voting Rights Act by removing the, the pre-clearance requirements of Section 5. Section 5 required states with a history of insidious discrimination to pre-clear or get permission from the Department of Justice before making any rash decisions that could cause harm or discrimination against Black people when attempting to vote. The harm and discrimination looked like poll taxes and literacy tests in the 1960s. After Shelby versus Holder, it looked like discriminatory voter ID laws, felon disenfranchisement, and removing voting sites in Black communities because all of these tactics led to lower turnout in Black communities. Then in 2021, the Supreme Court in Bronovich 
versus DNC made it more difficult to challenge discriminatory voting laws. B-R-N-O-V-I-C-H versus DNC made it more difficult to challenge discriminatory voting laws. We are officially in a constitutional crisis and the fate of our democracy is at stake. It has taken us decades to go from literacy tests to mobile voting, but we cannot continue the trend of closing polling sites, prohibiting Sunday voting, and criminalizing passing out water. We can improve the health of our democracy. Our vote determines the fate of legislation in your state and across the nation. You also choose the judge that presides over voting right cases, criminal cases, and civil right cases. Your vote protects the interests of your neighbors, your families, and the promise of a healthier democracy. This was a special article titled, OPED, Opinion Piece. Healing democracy requires everyone to show up, no matter the odds. Written by Aklima Kondokur, 92Q Jams, August 6th, 2022. The next article is titled, Leading Factors That Contribute to Alzheimer's, written by Deb Grover, G-R-U-V-E-R, The Community Voice, August 5th, 2022. Food insecurity and lack of access to health care and quality early childhood education are three factors that later contribute to Alzheimer's and other types of dementia in Black and Hispanic Latino people, researchers unveiled this week at the Alzheimer's Association International Conference in San Diego. The research is significant because Black people are roughly twice as likely as Hispanic Latinos, roughly one and a half times more likely, to suffer Alzheimer's or other dementia diseases than white people. The Alzheimer's Association said in a news release that structural, interpersonal, and institutional racism lowers memory scores and cognition in midlife and old age. Alzheimer's is the most common type of dementia, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control. A progressive illness, it affects parts of the brain that control thought, memory, and language, the CDC says. Chronic exposure to racism and interpersonal discrimination among marginalized communities leads to stress that affects the body and influences psychological health and likely contributes to the development of cognitive decline. Jennifer Manley, M-A-N-L-Y, professor of neuropsychology at Columbia University, Irving Medical Center and the senior author of a study said, overall, our findings indicate that racism impacts brain health and contributes to the unfair burden of Alzheimer's disease in marginalized groups. A 2013 study identified 44 square miles of Wichita as food deserts. In heavily minority and lower income communities in Northeast Wichita, and Plainview, the problem was exasperated by the closing of Save-A-Lot groceries. 
The city of Wichita is using $1 million from federal pandemic funds to seed a program aimed at closing the gap in food deserts across the city. The Healthy Corner Store Initiative will put fresh produce and other foods in convenience and dollar stores in part of the city designated as, designated as food deserts, areas more than a mile from a supermarket. In order to achieve health equity as a step toward complete inclusion, individuals and society must identify and reduce racism and other forms of discrimination. Carl V. Hill, Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at the Alzheimer's Association said in a news release, we must create a society in which the underserved, disproportionately affected and underrepresented are safe, cared for, and valued. Racism and discrimination lead to lower socioeconomic status, lower quality early childhood education, and less access to healthy food and proper health care. That in turn leads to a lower cognitive function later in life. These systemic disparities are related to less access to important health protecting resources, such as high quality care and social networks that provide valuable health information and support. The Reverend Dr. Miriam J. Burnett, Medical Director at the African Methodist Episcopal Church International Health Commission said, Black participants in studies were more likely to grow up and live in segregated areas that are known to be resource deprived due to lack of investment in black neighborhoods. Black participants experienced on average six civil rights violations in their lifetime and were exposed to interpersonal discrimination at least once per week. This article was titled, Leading Factors That Contribute to Alzheimer's, written by Deb Grover, The Community Voice, August 5th, 2022. The next article is titled, The Best Food Tours and Culinary Experiences to Try Around the World, written by Deanna Taylor, Ebony, August 2nd, 2022. Trying local cuisine when traveling is a great way to further immerse yourself in the culture of the destination you are visiting. It allows you to not only experience the differences in how food is prepared globally, but it can be an easy way to bond with locals and get an even deeper perspective on their customs. While finding restaurants on your own is certainly a great way to do all of this, booking a food tour or attending local food events and festivals is even better. For one price, you can indulge in a variety of dishes with a local guide or host who can give insight and answer questions along the way. Looking for a new way to tap into local culture on your next trip? Here are some food tours and experiences you need to add to your itinerary. Virgin Island Tours 
based on the island of St. Croix, this intimate walking tour is not only a guided food tasting, but also a fun history lesson on the U.S. Virgin Islands. For $90, you'll visit six local restaurants during the three-hour experience, as well as get a deep dive into the area's agriculture and how local food and drink is made. Tours are conducted on Mondays, Fridays, and sometimes Saturdays, starting at 10.30 a.m. local time. Secret Food Tours Paris Parisian cuisine can be hit or miss, according to most travelers. However, this Paris secret food tour comes with rave reviews. Local residents conduct the experience, and there are several tour options to choose from. Whether you want to taste the best chocolate and pastries in the city, or you want to see how Parisians source ingredients from local markets, you'll be able to do all of this and more. Tours run anywhere from 2.5 to 3.5 hours, and prices range from 79 euros up to 119 euros. Secret food tours can also be found in over 50 cities around the world. So even if you aren't visiting Paris, you can still find the same local experience in other places. St. Kitts and Nevis Restaurant Week. While this isn't a food tour in the traditional sense, St. Kitts Restaurant Week is a great way to indulge in the island's best cuisine for one affordable price. To kick off the week, both St. Kitts and Nevis host a tasting showcase where attendees can sample bites from many of the participating restaurants in one place. Each year, the islands choose a locally grown crop or ingredient to center the menus around while fusing them together with unique spices found in the area. Menus usually consist of three courses for about $60, and the event runs for about 10 days, usually in July. Moroccan Food Tour Moroccan's cuisine is bold and the flavors are unique. If you've ever been to the souks in Marrakesh, then you've likely seen the assortment of fresh spices that are grown in the region. From saffron to the dozens of olive varieties, Moroccan Food Tours currently hosts eight tours across different cities in the country, including Casablanca, Marrakesh, Fes, and more. Like many food tours around the world, the local guides offer insight on the country's history. The tours are very affordable, ranging from 40 euros up to 95 euros, depending on the destination chosen. The company also offers cooking classes too. Soul Stroll Charleston, usually only held during the Charleston Food and Wine Festival, local resident and black food advocate, K.J. Kearney, K-E-A-R-N-E-Y, of Black Food Fridays, takes guests to some of the Gullah's best Black-owned establishments. Indulge in everything, from Charleston's Chewies, a unique brown sugar-based dessert created in the area, made by family-owned bakery Daddy's Girls, to the best dishes native to the Low Country. You can also follow Black Food Fridays for additional pop-up food tours hosted around the city as well. This article is titled, 
the best food tours and culinary experiences to try around the world by Deanna Taylor, Ebony, August 2nd, 2022. The next article is titled, OG YouTuber Jackie Ina, A-I-N-A, is being accused of profiting off a Nigerian protest slogan. Written by Alexandra Jane, The Root, August 6th, 2022. If you've been anywhere in and around Black beauty influencer spaces over the last decade, you're probably familiar with the name Jackie Ina. Ina, 35, who got her start as a YouTube guru for Black makeup enthusiasts and has since designed a line of home products, has recently come under fire for adopting a Nigerian protest slogan as the name of a new candle fragrance under her F-O-R-V-R mood brand, and folks are not happy. After a long reign as the queen of black beauty influencers, Ina began expanding her empire, as do many others in the industry, looking to broaden both their reach and revenue stream and revenue streams. The YouTube star launched FORVR Mood in 2020 with a collection of candles and other items that quickly grew in popularity and sold out quickly. Among the four new fragrances released this year is the one named Sorosuke, S-O-R-O-S-O-K-E, a Yoruba phrase that translates to speak louder and has been used widely throughout Nigeria in demonstrations against police brutality. The backlash may come as a surprise to many, including Aina, who considers herself to be an advocate and a voice to many causes. In fact, she was able to launch her own career by calling out makeup companies for their lack of diversity. After speaking out against one brand in particular, Too Faced, for their foundation shade offerings that left out women of color, Ina and the brand were later able to collaborate on a collection together, which would become the first brand partnership of many. Despite Ina's years-long fight for representation in the aesthetic industries, the backlash over the candle name continues as she faces accusations of attempting to profit off of the hashtag EndSARS movement. The entrepreneur, who is also Nigerian, is additionally being accused of leaning into the Nigerian culture only when it's profitable for her to do so. Many social media users have commented that at the movement's peak, Aina never spoke out publicly publicly on the matter. One tweet reads, Dear non-Nigerians, the reason why this is receiving so much backlash is because Jackie Aina shamelessly named one of the candles. It was one of the rallying cries during NSARS, but Jackie was notably silent during the protests. As another commenter put it, as a long-term Jackie Aina fan, I'm so disappointed at how tone-deaf this is. 
I didn't even know she refused to shed light on the NSARS movement till I saw several tweets about it today. And using Sorosuke as a candle name when it was the rallying cry for the movement. Zero over ten. As of Friday evening, however, the Sorosuke candle had been removed from the product line, and Aino has issued a public apology via her Instagram page. As the brand owner of FORVR Mood, I understand our decision has severely hurt members of my Nigerian community with the naming of the candle Sorosuke. We missed the mark on this, and it will never happen again. This article is titled, OG YouTuber Jackie Aina is being accused of profiting off of a Nigerian protest slogan by Alexandra Jane, The Root, August 6th, 2022. The next article is titled, Diary of My First Essence Fest, How Four Days in New Orleans Changed Me Forever, by Shakira Gittens, G-I-T-T-E-N-S, July 9th, 2022, by Shakira Gittens, The Grio, July 9th, 2022. Floating down the Mississippi River in one of New Orleans' legendary steamboats, I felt overwhelmed with gratitude. I had come to my first Essence Fest for work, but the Festival of Culture had turned out to be much more than that. The trip turned out to be much more than I could ever have expected, period. It almost didn't happen at all. Just prior to my trip, I had a terrible fight with COVID, which in turn impacted a previously undiagnosed muscle condition my body had been fighting as well. I was unsure I would even be able to go, which ultimately made the trip more impactful. Still, I was nervous about the plane ride, especially with all the changing mandates for masks and tests. I tried to make myself feel both secure and stylish, bringing a variety of masks to coordinate with my outfits as well of, as well as plenty of 75% alcohol hand sanitizer, the best decision I ever made. Pro tip, I boosted the alcohol content of my usual hand sanitizer to avoid like I poured caramel all over my hands. You know that gummy feeling, no longer an issue for me. I arrived in New Orleans, relieved to be COVID negative, but still with a lingering cough. Rather than risk getting anyone else sick, I decided I would somehow keep my distance. Hey, I'm just getting over COVID. Don't hug me, I would say to everyone I ran into. But I was bombarded with love and hugs anyway. That would turn out to be the essence of my Essence Fest experience. Native New Orleans and frequent visitors already know, but for me, it was the people I met and the vibe of the city. I have always respected New Orleans, rich in history, black history, and as a jazz connoisseur, I was beyond excited to be visiting a dream destination of mine. It's like you can feel it in the air, even as you exit the airport. As soon as I entered my lift, 
my driver and I were chatting about how to best occupy my time. As I strategically arrived two days prior to Essence Fest. New Orleans is, of course, also famous for its food. Funnily enough, the first eatery the driver suggested I check out wasn't Creole cuisine. I must say the Velvet Cactus was a great first choice as it had outdoor dining, fun games like Oversized Connect Four, Sidewalk Chalk, and Mosquito Spray, which I desperately needed. They even had little fans to keep insects away from your food and drinks. The Mexican dinner was beyond satisfactory, and I felt safe. The music was good, and I even spotted actress Rutina Wesley, known for playing Nova Bordelon on Queen Sugar. Reality had hit. I was really in New Orleans at Essence Fest, and this would be the vibe. Day one of Essence Fest began with an event hosted by Disney at the famed Preservation Hall promoting Princess Tiana Bayou Adventure, which will replace Splash Mountain at Disney Parks in 2024. It's ironic I would start my journey at this event. I felt like a big kid, especially after also having been loved heavily by my mother while sick. I was still wobbly on my post-COVID sea legs and trying to take care of myself in the aftermath with the wisdom and love of my mother as my guide. Tying in our first Disney experience, Princess Tiana, New Orleans, and Essence Fest was clearly a recipe for gold. As Princess Tiana was developing her journey, so was I. It was my first taste of what I now recognize as traditional New Orleans, with a brass band and even a musical performance by Mama Odie, better known as mother of Black Hollywood, Jennifer Lewis. I love that Disney expanded and evolved the origin story of Princess Tiana. The character's development was amazing. The seed had been planted as it made me think about my own roots and development. And I got a parasol. That was the only souvenir I'd hoped to get since I knew I was headed to New Orleans. Disney had made another dream come true. Later that day, it was off to the main event at the city's Montreal Convention Center. I was admittedly unsure of myself, my health, and what to expect. Between the city's heat and my unsteady recovery, I feared I'd have a rough time concealing my difficulty making others feel comfortable, and keeping my energy in line with the greatness around me. Confirming my expectations, the convention center was overwhelming. The convention center was overwhelming. There were so many great booths, installations, and monuments to brands big and small, and through the sea of melanin magic, there were lines, enthusiasm, and love everywhere. Pushing my fears aside, I was proud to be in a space that was family-friendly, safe, and comfortable. It was like I had cousins everywhere. However, I have to admit, working in the media spaces wasn't quite what I expected. Everyone walked and talked with an elevated yet calm demeanor. It was tense and a little intimidating 
to say the least. I'm typically jovial everywhere I go, so this energy was new to me. I was told before attending Essence Fest, I would find a tribe. It may not have been in the media pool, but thankfully I found I didn't need one. I met neighbors from my city staying in the same hotel. I met young black professionals to enjoy the evening's concerts with and shared moments waiting in line with people I knew I'd never be in contact again. But that didn't make the interactions any less warm or special. Exercising my intuition was key and the concerts, which this year included Janet Jackson, Nicki Minaj, The Roots, Patti LaBelle, Chloe and Halle, Lucky Day Jasmine Sullivan, Kevin Hart, New Edition, The Isley Brothers, and more were just the break I needed from that exercise. This was my first Essence Fest, so I didn't know what to expect. I was just excited to be there and have this shared experience, though no one seemed too worried about COVID except me. Most folks were unmasked. I was kind of floored by that aspect and kept my mask on, but I hope they were taking care of themselves. Working day two, I found myself walking with purpose and staying focused on my intuition. My gut told me what to do, where to go, who I needed to see, and how I could make the most of my Essence Fest experience. This time, that included how I use my media credentials. As crazy as it might sound, Sitting in the press box waiting for footage of celebrities was great, but I was missing the Essence experience. I wasn't going to do that two days in a row. Not when I found more flow going to the activations outside the convention center. On Saturday, the Media Mavens Brunch, an event that started with a tweet and ended up sponsored by VH1, started off my day great. Listening to Tammy Roman, and Amara La Negra speak on being women in entertainment and the wild world of reality television was eye-opening. Their knowledge of the industry and shared personal experiences created an atmosphere of instant camaraderie. If that ain't Essence Fest, I don't know what is. After that, it was off to Spotify's house of R&B, A-R-E and B.E., where the who's who were listening to up-and-coming artists while setting the ultimate ambience of cool. Hosted at a classic New Orleans mansion, it was a welcome change of pace from all the commotion at the convention center. It was also an inspiring affirmation of our collective identity in whatever arena we enter. During a podcast panel hosted by Dope Labs, Dr. Zakia Watley, W-H-A-T-L-E-Y, said, We want people to know who we are from jump. Just showing up as ourselves, I think, is celebrating our blackness. You can be in all of these spaces as yourself. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Little did I know this statement would ring true as the motive of the weekend for me. Last not least. The Crown Awards, a fitting event for the final day of Essence Fest. I had no idea what I was in for. Created to further boost awareness of the Crown Act to legislate freedom of hair expression in professional and academic spaces, among those honored were 
Karma Bridges, Mickey Gruton, Issa Ray, Kim Whitley, Tabitha Brown, Tina Lifford, Latoya Can Cantrell, C-A-N-T-R-E-L-L, Mark Morile, M-O-R-I-A-L, and the cast of Tyler Perry's Sisters. With each successive acceptance speech, I couldn't keep a dry eye. I really let the tears fall when the three women who integrated schools in Louisiana on the same day as Ruby Bridges were honored. Say their names. Those women are Leona Tate, Gail Etienne, E-T-I-E-N-N-E, and Tessie Prevost. P-R-E-V-O-S-T. I may not be from Louisiana, but I felt so indebted to those ladies. I felt so full of love and courage when I left the event, and proud to say I would never be the same in the best way. I had done it. I had created a well-rounded working trip. I had come to Louisiana filled with so much doubt, but going to Essence Fest gave me something to fight for both emotionally and for my health. Getting up to work every day, getting fresh air, pushing through my lingering symptoms and focusing on something other than being sick provided a will for wellness. More than that, it was a fresh start. I had approached Essence Fest with the mindset that it would be work, with a little bit of play. I entered the trip with the mindset of a college girl with an assignment needing to report back as a rigid professional. Thankfully, that mentality didn't last long. I didn't realize it was removing me from the experience. Reporters rarely want to be part of the story, or maybe I'm not used to being heard and I don't expect people to want to hear my story. Even as I approach this recap, I never expected it to be about me. I was just looking to report on the happenings. But between Essence Fest and the city of New Orleans, I could no longer remove myself. I had been affirmed so much throughout the weekend that I learned how to affirm myself and have a good time doing it. In the space of a few days, I had people who welcomed me and wanted to hear from me. I became unafraid to stand up for what was right for me. I learned new boundaries to protect this newfound Black excellence that had seeped into me, and I became a certified woman standing on her own two feet. My first time at Essence Fest left me feeling stronger than I've ever felt, with a sacred confidence I know will be with me forever. Shakira Gittens is the operations assistant of the GRIO. She holds a Bachelor of Communication in Broadcast Journalism from Bloomfield College and an MBA in Media Management from Metropolitan College of New York. This article was titled, Diary of My First Essence Fest, How Four Days in New Orleans Changed Me Forever. Written by Shakira Gittens, The Griot, July 9th, 2022. The next article is titled, Tennis has become an outlet for Black people during the pandemic. From Andscape 
Staff, August 5th, 2022. After focusing mostly on baseball and lacrosse for much of his young life, Brandon Serna, S-E-R-N-A, two years ago decided to swing a tennis racket for the first time. I wanted to experience what tennis was really like and how people could teach me how to play, said Brandon, 13, who lives in Washington, and it was safe. The height of the coronavirus pandemic two years ago led to a change in daily habits and routines. Participation in organized contact sports, such as basketball and football, were shut down because they were deemed unsafe, along with other sports that were played indoors. Yet in a time during a pandemic where a lot of activities came to a halt, participation in tennis climbed and Black and Latino faces played a big part in the increase. The USTA recently announced the results of a study that showed participation in the sport among Black slash African-American players grew from 1.6 million in 2019 to 2.3 million in 2020, an increase of 43.75%. What drove the increase according to the results that came from data provided by sports marketing surveys? The drive by the USTA to find ways to increase tennis participation across the country that, in many areas, was under a lockdown. Tennis became a safe outlet. Once the pandemic hit, we focused a lot of our attention into supporting the local tennis industry staying open, said Craig Morris, chief executive of the Community Tennis for the USTA. Due to tennis being an outside sport that naturally has opponents and teammates distanced from each other, it was a great way to stay active with social distance. There was a push by USTA to keep the courts open during the pandemic and to provide aid to coaches during a time when many people experience financial stress. It was really important for us to make sure people can get on tennis courts and that really impacted the way we started to put out grants to courts and coaches. Morris said, the financial grants would allow them to help kick the doors open. A big part of the push came when key tennis groups, including USTA Foundation, Intercollegiate Tennis Association, United States Professional Tennis Association, and Professional Tennis Registry, joined forces during the pandemic to form Tennis Industry United. The goal of Tennis Industry United, find ways and keep communication open on how to navigate tennis moving forward as the group provided information on COVID-19 safety, teaching clinics, and how to reach communities and groups that needed more attention. The outreach was apparently successful according to some key findings in the study. Participation among the youth, ages 6 to 17. Players grew from 4.6 million in 2019 to 6.9 million in 2021, an increase of 50%. Participation among Hispanic 
Latino players grew from 2 million in 2019 to 3.2 million in 2021, an increase of 60%. Participation among Black African American players grew from 1.6 million in 2019 to 2.3 million in 2021, an increase of 43.75%. There was a shift in interest during the pandemic at the Washington Tennis and Education Foundation, a group in the nation's capital with a mission to transform the lives of youth through tennis and education. With two locations, the foundation, a beneficiary of the City Open, currently being played in Washington, provides tennis guidance to more than 400 youths in the city. Prior to the pandemic, a lot of people really didn't know about this program, said Jabari Cosby, J-A-B-A-R-I-C-O-S-B-Y, Senior Programs Manager at the Foundation. During the pandemic, there was a lot of promotion in wards 7 and 8, so there was definitely an increase in numbers. For Brandon, picking up a racket for the first time provided another way to stay active at a time when a lot of people retreated from activities. It's such an active sport, Brandon said, when you hit the ball over the net and then you have to run back to your spot and strategize where you're going to hit it. I like that. The USTA, with its support of clinics and aid to schools, expects the upward trend to continue. If that happens, the goal is to shift from introducing the sport to kids to keeping them engaged and playing as they grow older. Players like Brandon, who after playing baseball and lacrosse, now finds himself hooked on a sport he picked up during the pandemic at the Washington Tennis and Education Foundation site. I like how all the coaches are funny and help me learn things from a different perspective, Brandon said. Even though I like baseball and lacrosse, tennis seems like a sport where I can enjoy and learn more about the game. Will I keep playing as I get older? I think so. It's fun. This article is titled, Will I Keep Playing As I Get Older? I Think So. It's fun. Jerry Bambury is a senior writer at Anscape, August 5th, 2022. That's all the time we have for the African American Hour. My name is Rosemary Onkwe. Thanks for joining me.